everyone. Welcome to PPRO Payments Radio. This is the podcast for and about the payments industry, covering news, interviewing experts, and talking about all the ways the world pays. My name is Megan Johnson, your host, and for this episode, we are very lucky. In honor of International Women's Day, I've sat down with three fantastic women spearheading change in diversity and inclusion within the payments industry. Today, I'm joined by Laura Rofe, Strategic Partner Manager at PPRO. Claire Gates, Chief Commercial Officer at PPRO, and Nadia Edwards-Daschi, Chief Customer Officer at Harrington Star. In today's episode, we'll be reflecting upon some of the changes we've seen in the payments world when it comes to diversity and inclusion. We'll look at how far we've come and what has been the catalyst for change. We'll also hear some practical advice on how to achieve empowerment in the workforce. We'll then talk a bit about mentorship programs and events, and we'll talk about what success looks like if we were to reconvene in five years time where do we want to go and what drives success when it comes to diversity and inclusion i hope you all enjoy today's fantastic podcast i'd like to start the podcast by opening up for a few rounds of our introductions from our ladies um so nadia thank you so much for joining um this p pro payments radio podcast who are you what do you do um what's some interesting things that the listeners should know about you well firstly thank you so so much for inviting me on today i'm super excited to talk about this topic it's very close to my heart and everything that i have been addressing over the past decade so a little bit about me i am a recruiter i started in recruitment placing technologists into financial services all the way back in 2004-2005. I knew very early on that it would become my responsibility to try and drive change across this industry. It was very, very obvious to me that there were a number of problems, there were a number of points of failures, there were a number of challenges that we needed to overcome in this industry when, uh, we, when we looked at inclusion. And we all know back in 2004, 2005, inclusion wasn't a word, diversity wasn't a word, equity wasn't a word that was used in this industry. It is now, and I like to think that I've played a tiny part in that, and I'm sure we'll discuss a bit more later on. Super. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I'm really interested to hear your take in, in, in perspective from the recruitment you know, side of things, because I think that's so important in making sure that, you know, diversity and inclusion is kind of there from the get go. So, yeah, really looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Um, Claire, welcome back to PPRO Payments Radio. Um, for our listeners who may not have uh, listened to one of the previous podcasts you've been on, who are you? Um, and yeah, what's your role at PPRO and, and something interesting about you? Thank you. Um, so I am Claire Gates. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer at PPRO. Um, I have actually been in, and I reflect on this uh, you know, just the other day, I've been in payments for over 25 years. I don't know where that time has gone, and I've seen quite a lot of change um, in that time. I think it's a really exciting uh, sector to be in for many reasons, for um, the things that are happening now, but also the future and how technology will play a role in it. I'm a mother of two young girls, um, and I've always worked. And uh, again, sort of as Nadia said, this is a very dear and passionate uh, theme, not just because I am a mother, but also I have seen how important it is to ensure that there is diversity and inclusion um, across the workplace and even broader than that, actually. 
Super. Thanks, Claire. Yeah, I think it will be fantastic to get your perspective, having been in the payments industry for, for quite some time. So really looking forward to it. And last but not least, Laura, um, this is the second time we've been kicking off this um, podcast in honor of International Women's Day. So yeah, if you could tell us a bit more about who you are, what your role of P-Pro is, um, and why you're passionate about uh, diversity and inclusion. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Megan, for hosting us today. Um, so, so my name is Laura Roof. Um, I work as a strategic partnership manager um, at, at PPRO, um, and and I've been working in the payments um, space going on um, thirteen years. Um, originally from Australia, I came from a corporate banking background, um, and have came over to the UK for a bit of a new adventure, um, albeit uh, going on ten years ago now. Um, and work my way through through fintech and, and payments. Um, and and for me, you know, I really sort of started to recognise sort of a, early on in my career. It's obviously a very male dominated um, industry, um, and it really started for me. Started looking towards you know championing women in payments uh, became an area I've been very passionate about. Um, I work with a number of um, charities where I do mentoring of young women. Um, and, and yeah, I really want to look at how we can continue um, to educate, um, empower, and uh, put in place actions that we can help um, empower women moving forward. Cool. Super. Thanks so much, Laura. We'll definitely touch upon the importance of mentoring um, in today's episode. But I think I'd like to start by reflecting on some of the changes we have seen in the payments world when it comes to diversity inclusion. So particularly, you know, how far have we come and, and what have been um, the catalysts? So Claire, let's let's start off with you. What have you seen in terms of evolution in, in your, um, you know, the past two and a half decades that you've had in the the payments industry yeah i definitely have seen it i think um there's been thankfully a uh drawing of a diverse um set of talent um from not just gender um but other various um areas of diversity and um, i think though um don't get me wrong could they've done it quicker probably could have but i think when you find out now we see a lot of really good talent coming in from all backgrounds and all areas of um education um, and they certainly come into the organizations at, at levels. I think where the challenge we've got now is supporting that um, uh, the gender side up as they move through the ranks and as they're, you know, as they evolve in their lifestyle. I joined um, an organization way back, American Express um, is where I really first started off from, from a financial payments perspective. They had from the very beginning, a very good diversity and inclusion um, you know, uh, plan and strategy. It was part and parcel of their, do I dare say it, their DNA. Um, and then I moved and I had gone from the likes of the cities to GEs all the way through to startups. And what I would say is what is, I think has helped is not just the change of mentality, but also um, the interest and exciting and dynamic place that payments has become over the last 10 years has brought on a new caliber of individuals, which has equally brought on diversity as well. Yeah, I think um, I, I think I definitely agree. I think there's definitely been more um, education um, in the in the in the industry. I think that's kind of also stemmed from you know a lot of movements and being sort of coming out of um, and up and coming. I mean, you've heard of sort of 
Me Too, which sits outside of the, the financial services sector. But I think that that's, you know, given women the confidence just to speak up um, and, and for women's, uh, so for industries to start to really um, pay a bit more attention. There's many organisations in, in the women's, uh, in, in the finance space now, like Women in Payments, European Women Payments Network, um, who, who are really sort of banding together and, and, and talking about um, um, the challenges uh, that, that are occurring and what we can do to sort of improve on that. And I think, you know, we, we have come far, but probably not enough, I, I would say. I mean, a report by the World Economic Forum back in 2019, I said, I think it was, they said that gender parity uh, wouldn't come into play for another 123 years. And then the 2020 report is, is reduced down to 99 years. So, you know, we are improving, but I mean, 99 years um, is, is just too too far. We are moving too, too slowly, if you ask me, and we need to really ramp things up. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think right now there's a huge opportunity for all of us to drive that change uh, in a much faster, a faster way and actually have tangible action to the conversations that we're having. The good news is that we're having the conversation. The I do believe the awareness is there. And having worked with the payments industry from tiny payments companies to the big household names that people know since 2005. I've had this wonderful privilege of visibility, of compensation, you know, of of, com of board composition, of understanding culture, of listening to what are people's uh, DEI policies and are they getting translated into practice and day-to-day -day procedure and, and what actually is the culture like in terms of supporting that so what I find really fascinating is I think there's a lot of great steps forward that have happened we definitely have a really really long way to go but right now is a brilliant opportunity for it however horrific the pandemic has been um, across the world and, and all the tragedy stories that we've heard it has shown a glimmer of awareness to people that didn't want to be aware of their colleagues' home lives and the challenges that they faced, that was thrown right out the window and people have become aware. And moreover, as the industry is growing at this phenomenal rate, CEOs, leaders, managers across this space, they are faced all with the same problem. And that is how do we attract talent and how do we retain that talent because there's no point hiring wonderful potential for your business if they will not stay because you do not look after them inclusively and there's so many elements to looking after people supporting them investing in them level playing fields there's so many things and I think at the moment we're tapping on some of the aspects that we need to look at but there are some major fundamental foundational awareness that we really need to really need to drive change on and, and both Claire and Laura mentioned them in terms of societal thinking, in terms of um, uh, perception of women within the workplace, in terms of the history that we come from, we cannot deny that there has been a history of exclusion within this industry and we're working to change that. I would add also society does play a significant um, role within you know how women are perceived in the workplace or how they have their opportunities and how that gives them the flexibility to be able to shall we say a, a good comparison is you know who's likely traditionally to do school runs it's often likely to be the 
the female. What happens if one of the children, if they've got children, they might not, but you know, is sick, um, it's more likely that the mother gets, uh, you know, dialed up or called up and pulled pulled back. And I think, um, you know, I, I've been a fortunate person in many ways because my husband's career has always been the um, taken second place, you know, just because of my career is, has been just a little bit different to his. And actually he retrained recently is now a teacher. And um, that has its challenges because he can't suddenly, if there's a, 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 a something happening, he can't suddenly say, well, I can't go to school and teach these children. So he has to do it. But I think when we look at um, how society, it makes very much um, plays a impact, I think, on how women, um, are able to be uh, to position themselves or confident enough to position themselves in the workplace, and different geographies have have different dynamics to it as well. You go to internationally to the Scandinavian countries, to a lot of the even in Germany uh, and in other markets across Europe, um, not necessarily Southern Europe, um, but um, because of the way that the the um, yeah, paternity leave is structured, etc. The way that organisations support both male and females with parental leave, it gives women a far better opportunity um, to be able to continue to, like you say, not just be hired, but be able to be retained and to grow, most importantly, to grow um, in a, a workplace because they can balance the work life. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And I have to say, um, as you as you were talking about that, I need to be honest. Right now, I have a two year old who's been sent home from nursery sick, and my husband is downstairs looking after, her and I can just about hear her crying. And I am so lucky that the world has changed to allow me to be on this podcast now. But um, I resonate with so much of what you're saying because it's. Um, it's not just uh, individuals in privileged positions. I believe I'm in a privileged position because I've got such a supportive husband. It's about us ensuring that everybody has the same opportunities and the same choices. And I do think payments have has come an incredibly long way because of a number of external uh, external circumstances, a huge one being the pandemic. Um, but again, as I said, there's, there's much more that we can go to so that everyone feels comfortable going into the workplace and saying, this is my challenge. I am the main caregiver. I am the person that needs to do the school runs, but I can be so productive and that shouldn't stop me from progressing within your business and it shouldn't other me in your business either. So how is this? How does this? So we talked about some of the we talked about the evolution and some of the societal effects. Um, how does this actually play out in in the day to day? Um, so, you know, we have mentorship programs and events, which can be, you know, outside of the, the typical nine to five, nine to six. Um, what are some actual steps being taken to empower diversity inclusion in, in the workforce? And what are some tips for companies or employees that you three um, would recommend? I don't mind uh, kicking this one off, Megan. Um, you know, for, for me, um, I, I think we need to be looking at how we can empower women um, and, and create greater diversity and inclusion across, you know, a number of different levels. We've touched on, on the social element. We also need to look at, you know, what role does government um, and on a national level, uh, you know, play into this? And then how can we look at it from a corporate and industry perspective, right down to, you know, an individual, you and me, what actions can we kind of be taking? And I think um, there's a couple of things here in the, in the UK, um, which 
really were sort of up in headlights when they first came out, but I haven't heard much about them since. But um, I'm not sure if you're aware, there's a, a Women in Finance Charter that's in place um, by the UK government, and it's a pledge for gender balance across financial services industries. And companies can sign up and, and commit, um, you know, their, their pledge that they will implement, you know, four sort of key industry actions. Um, and and um, then there is also um, the gender pay gap. So uh, UK companies uh, with um, more than 250 employees need to report their gender pay gap. So for me, these are really about accountability on that um, corporate level. I think um, I had a look that among employees, um, so across all um, employees in the UK, and this is not just fintech, but the gender pay gap increased um, from 2020 to 2021. I think it's currently sitting at 15.4% difference in the gender pay gap. So I think we need to be continually making sure these things are at the forefront, people are aware of them, that they're accountable. Um, You know, from a company level, um, having that accountability, we talked about you know, paternity leave, you know, this really helps, um, you know, open things up to, and create that sort of um, e- equality um, f- for all. Um, you know, do you have, do companies have directors who, who are leading, you know, day or diversity, uh, equality, inclusion? Is there education amongst your, your, your organisation? Um, you know, are we setting targets and KPIs to kind of achieve? And then, you know, right down to sort of employee or individual level, how can, how can you be seen? You know, it's, it's all well and good asking your company um, and the government uh, to put things in place, but what can I do, you know, as an individual? And I can be seen and I, I, I can challenge my company. Can we ask them, what are we doing um, to create greater diversity? What can I do to help um, create greater diversity? You know, at, at PPRO, we've been focusing on sort of our ESG policy, um, and I'm part of a committee where we're looking at really dr- drilling down to this ESG, what we can do on the people front. And this incorporates diversity um, and inclusion. So, you know, I'm really happy to be part of an organisation who is putting this at the forefront and, and championing that. But I think there's so many different areas that we, we can contribute here. I think what I a few things that I could add. I remember about so ten years ago when they um, when it, the UK government decided to put some uh, quotas in to get uh, women on the board um, and women in management and the likes of this. And at first, I was uh, I was averse to it. I really was averse to it. I was thinking, well, actually, hold on. I've I've gone my through my career, and I'd be very fortunate that I've um, had people supporting me to get promoted, etc. Um, I wouldn't want to be one of those individuals that then gets put, um, you know, quoted in, shall we call it that. Um, but it was a, it was a, a program that was actually during my short time at MasterCard that was being supported there. I saw it first and really realised why it was so critical to have it. Because there are, um, unfortunately, you, you need to have people supporting the cause because whilst um, there are many organisations that are putting you know, ESG policies in place and other initiatives. There still is a potential for you know, bias when they are doing um, an interview process. And, and, and Nadia, I'm sure you're going to be able to tell us a lot more about that and how to overcome that. And it was the first time I really sat back and reflected from some really senior individual women who were saying it's really important for us to drive this through to ensure that there is a level of transparency around what is happening. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to get this level playing field for women in the workplace across all levels. And I and I think that is really important for us to focus on. Some of the, the these things that have happened are now helping. They're not yet addressing the full, full fundamental root causes, but they are um, moving us in the right direction. That's my belief. 
I also think it's um, really important for us to, as individual women as well, to do the support and help drive you know agendas and speak out speak up and speak out about things that just don't look or sound acceptable i've been in many situations where um i thought hold on a minute this is you know the way uh, people have been speaking to another female colleague at a senior level or topics that have been covered i remember years ago we were at a board meeting just finished the board meeting and we're going out for dinner and all the conversation was around um sport now there's lots of women who love football and absolutely could actively engage it but could you imagine reversing it the other way and it would be a table full of women all we talk about is fashion you know that's that in itself is choosing topics that are not necessarily inclusive to a whole demographic of individuals um, and and that went on for at least over an hour until one one of the persons said to me gosh I can see this might be a bit difficult for you as we've just spoken now I've got loads of female uh you know girlfriends who, who are sitting at on boards who love football so you know I don't want to stereotype but I think it's those subtle things that can also alienate people in the workplace if there are topics that are being discussed that that are, are not inclusive those are fantastic um, yeah, examples and, and reflections, Claire. And I think there's a few things from, from my personal experience and what I've heard about. There's some some friends who are women in um, you know, management positions. There was one story where um, there was one woman um, on the management, uh, senior management team. I think there was 15 other men. And then whoever was chairing the meeting said, okay, gentlemen, let's reconvene in 15 minutes. And there was, and she was just like, I'm the only woman. How can I even you know, say anything? And it's things like this. And another thing that someone that I've heard a few times is kind of not saying like, guys, let's do this, you know? Um, so I think just the way we, you know, the topics we talk about and the way we address people, there are little things, but I think they can, you know, definitely add up to make a big difference and get people starting to think about it. Um, Nadia, yeah, it would be great to hear your perspective from, from the recruitment level. Yeah, um, I, of course, I've got so much to share on this and it really, it really gets me so passionate because this is exactly what we need to drive change for for ourselves for our our daughters for our sons um you know the world does need to everyone needs to be challenged with those microaggressions if that's what you want to call them all the really obvious obvious examples of exclusion that just needs to stop but i recently uh, wrote a book called fintech women walk the talk which was a celebration of 120 of the podcasts that i recorded with women across the financial technology industry um i quoted 120 of those women laura being one of them uh, who featured within the book from the podcast and um in the chapter where i unveil this is the reality this is what we're dealing with the example upon example of C-level women of our industry who've been in meetings when men have walked in and just assumed that they are the secretary or there to write notes or even requested to speak to a man because they thought the job would get done. Moreover, and this is where we go right back to, to what you were saying, Claire, at the start on the uh, societal, we have to challenge, not just in the workplace, we have to challenge our our fathers, our mothers, our uncles, our, you know, everybody that, you know, we sit around, you know, whatever table when, when, when we hear them um, being discriminatory. This is a constant challenge. And um, I think it's incredibly important that 
you know what what you said claire earlier about you know ha having a voice and and stepping up and saying things we all have a responsibility to allow that to happen and laura you mentioned you know three-tier approach yes it's governmental um it's societal it's business and team and it's also individual and it's day in day out challenge of situations like that because actually the payments industry is proving to be so much better than that than what it was it's look at the you know the, the women on on this on this podcast alone let alone the others that you've had on the podcast let alone all the women that i've had on my women of fintech and part of the book these are incredible individuals who have built fantastic careers in a brilliant industry that is ripe for change but we need to work together to make sure that change happens um claire you touched upon um interviewing um and of course i have to <laughs> do a response to that having had so much experience of just seeing everybody's genuine um unconscious bias conscious bias um and actually how a large proportion of people who interview when they are challenged about their bias, um, a large proportion will say, wow, I didn't realize I did that. Um, and, and one thing that I've really learned by calling things out is it doesn't actually have to be the cancel culture that we're in at the moment. It doesn't have to be aggressive. This is a movement where we're all trying to work together to be better for everybody. The uh, there's a, a wonderful gentleman who runs inclusion courses. He I call him my inclusion expert. His name is Dr. Jonathan Ashong Lamptey. Um, he runs a, a podcast as well, The Element of Inclusion. He always says inclusion is about including everybody. Everybody needs to be on this journey. It's about us all getting better. So that challenge doesn't need to be negative. It's why why did you make that decision? What what exactly do you mean by not a good cultural fit, not a good personality fit? Show me where that individual technically couldn't do the job. What makes you feel this person doesn't have the right attributes? And this is genuinely what I am like as a recruiter, probably turning everyone off because I sound like a headache. But I want to be a headache for the right reasons, because we need to challenge the way that we've always done things. And when we mention the gender pay gap, I am now whenever we are representing female technology talents in, in the uh, industry, I'm really reticent to say what salary that they're earning right now, because what do hiring managers love to do? This is their salary, let's give a 10% increase. That is perpetuating the gender pay gap. What do you value this person's skill set as, regardless if they're male or female? So just a couple of things that we can start thinking about there. I, I had an experience, um... A large tech company uh, had got in touch and I spoke to a recruiter about a role. And I mean, I, I wasn't interested, but I wanted to go through the recruitment process and just actually like build my confidence in talking about salary expectations. And the recruiter, one of the first questions, of course, was, okay, what are your salary expectations? And I said, well, I think that question is a bit unfair because by default, as a woman, my salary expectations are going to be X percent lower than a man because of the gender pay gap. And so I said, you know, I, I prefer not to give that. And I'd like to know what the, you know, the band is for this role. And they were quite pushy and said, you know, no, we, we really value diversity and, and inclusion. But I think for me, it was just nice to be able to, you know, say that. And now I feel more confident that, you know, a few years down the line, if I'm interviewing again, I, you know, have the kind of, yeah, 
strength and confidence to say that. So I think that's, yeah, and definitely an interesting um, point with the whole, yeah, interviewing and, um, you know, the whole salary aspect of everything. Um, so I guess moving on to kind of events and, and mentorship programs, and, you know, there's quite a few different organizations within the payments industry that are, um, you know, supporting women. What role do these play? Um, how important are they? What kind of momentum do they have at the moment? Um, Laura, I know that you're big into the mentorship space. It would be great to kick this off with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, for me, mentoring programs, so you want to be clear, can, can benefit both both men and women, really. Um, I think they're, they're great initiatives to have as part of an organisation. Um, it can help nurture talent and, and employee retention. But if we kind of focus on, on how this can add value to, to women in the industry, um, I was uh, reading an article the other day and it said, um, you know, nearly three quarters of women um, in the millennial age bracket um, think that equal opportunities are not available to them despite organizations claiming to care about diversity. So, you know, we need to sort of start thinking about you know, how, how can we change that really? And, you know, mentoring programs can do a number of different things. They, they help um, sort of build confidence um, in individuals. They can help identify and, and nurture, nurture talent. Um, actually, I think I read this in Nadia's book, um, one of the statistics but, um, that, that she had, but fintech, you know, the fintech industry is really improving when it comes to employing greater diversity overall. Um, but, you know, there's still less than 30% of women in the fintech sector. There's still, you know, a major gap when it comes to women in roles um, within the UK and only 17% um, of leadership roles in the UK and, and only 5% of top fintech companies in, um, are female founders. Um, so for me, you know, we can really utilize mentoring programs uh, as a way of succession planning within an organization. You know, you can help sort of nurture, nurture your, your and identify top talent and perhaps put them on a, on a pathway to, to growth, to, to um, pushing them through to that senior management role. And, and the advantage, you know, on the organizational side is that you've got great talent you're keeping within your, your business um, while also, you know, pushing that diversity element and bringing, you know, new ideas from a female perspective to, to your senior management team. Um, and from an individual level, um, you know, you can really, yeah, like I said, really help sort of build confidence um, from, from a personal experience over the course of my career. I've had sort of business coaches and, and mentors during my time, and I really felt it helped me um, grow and develop quicker uh, within my role, sort of really helped me realize my potential, maybe sort of start thinking in, in with different a different sort of mindset. And, you know, my performance was very much noticed by sort of senior management um, and, and helped, you know, me, me person, on a personal level as well. So I think there's many um, added advantages of, of mentoring as a whole. That was really interesting. And as you were talking, it got me thinking because um, there's somebody else that I, I quoted in the book and it was a wonderful podcast that I recorded um, with a, a lady called Kimberly Lewis, who's now head of active ownership at Schroders. And she was talking about mentorship. And what she was saying is what we need to really remember is um, a lot of young boys will sit around a dinner table um, as they're growing up on Sunday and talk to daddy's friend from golf 
Um, and what will they talk about? They will talk about uh, financial services. They will talk about investment. They will talk about certain things. And historically, young girls were not involved in that. This, this is a, a form of mentoring that has been instilled in a certain demographic over a lifetime. So realistically, um, I, I didn't have that opportunity. I'm, I'm not sure many other women um, of my age um, would have had that opportunity. I, I'm absolutely sure that my daughter will, just the same as my son will. But the interesting thing, I don't mean the, the, the friend that goes to golf, I mean the financial inclusion and financial education, because um, no one plays golf here. <laughs> but my point is, is that I think that it's really important to make sure that when we say we're leveling the playing field, we truly are. And I think mentoring programs are a brilliant way of doing that. But I love to see them be taken further because any of these initiatives on their own, I think, are, are, are left with a stunted growth. So if we only look at, right, we're going to mentor women because women need to be mentored, when actually there are some fantastic, amazing super super talented women out there that maybe don't need another mentoring program maybe they need an advocate maybe they need someone to open the door for them and this is something that again I learned through my podcast series there are so many wonderful things that we can do in this industry quotas as you mentioned earlier Claire great but not so great on their own mentorship wonderful but not so wonderful on its own and actually this is one of the big points that I always come back to whenever we have these conversations. This is why this is so, inclusion is so overwhelming for everybody, because there is no one silver bullet. It's about the layering process of quotas and mentoring schemes and really investing in confidence, but not just confidence of women in themselves, but confidence that men have in women to do the job. Um, and then taking that even further and making sure that that leaders are looking around them and saying to themselves, who should I be advocating for? Who has been overlooked? Who's just finished? Yes, another mentoring scheme. And they, they actually should be doing the job that somebody else has just shoe fitted into because of course it was gonna happen for them and that promotion would be given to them. It's about pausing for thought and making full use of it, I think. You know, I like the reference that you made about the advocate and, and what have you, because there's two sides of it. The one is the chat, you know, the mentoring to bring out the best in people, to push them to reach their full potential. Um, but then you've got the advocate, the champion, and they don't have to be that same individual. And I think when I look back at my career, I've got I've had a mentor, mentors, um, but I've also had champions who've been able to drive me to that next opportunity who don't who weren't my mentor. And I think that's really important to ensure that as an individual, if you're a woman out there or a man, whoever it may be, you may have the mentor, but you might also want to think about what an advocate and champion, who they could be and how they can help you in your career. I, I yeah, I mean this, I totally agree, Claire. I think the advocate um, perspective and kind of role is, is super critical. And I think something, yeah, that should, we should be talking about that a lot more in the industry, I think. Um, so, I mean, thinking about, what the future holds what would what do we want to achieve in, in in say five years time um if we were to kind of reconvene in five years host this podcast again talk about diversity inclusion in, in payments what would success look like to to each of you um nadia let's let's start off with you please I'd like to really see that we've we've come so much further forward that when you talk about diversity equity and inclusion with people that their brains don't initially go to gender because that's where we're at at the minute because we we actually are 
we haven't come that far. So our brains automatically go to, okay, let's focus on the one that's easily measurable because it's easy to ask people who do you what do you identify as? Um, when actually it's a much, much broader spectrum than that. It'd be really easy for me to throw out, you know, my 50-50 percentages. Um, uh, from a recruitment point of view, I'd love recruitment to be turned upside down completely. I'd love the erasure of CVs and job descriptions. Um, I have a program which I call the 17% list, which was born out of the fact that uh, as of 2020, uh, there were only, of all the technology roles in the UK, only 17% of them were filled by women. And I decided when um, I, I gave birth to my, my first baby that year, um, uh, a little girl, I decided, right, uh, change has to happen now. I was really, really inspired by, you know, wanting to stand up for her. And and um, I started a programme where I turned recruitment on its head. And now I go and speak to various people in the industry. And I say, I know you're going to be hiring at some point this year. And the physical numbers right now in the tech space are that if you were to receive 100 applicants, 80, 83 of them are going to be men. So you're going to, you're going to hire a man because that's what you're going to see. So let me give you the visibility of the women out there. And it's a programme that a lot of people shirked at the start because it's changing the method to try and change the result. And actually it started to work. And we've, we found 100 women roles created for them off the back of this programme. I would love to see, I'd love to see payments. I'd love to see fintech really ripping up the playbook to change how they behave so that the results change. And, and recruitment is a, a large part of that. Thank you, Nadia. Laura, what, what's your, what does success look like to you in, in five years time? Yeah, for me, I, I definitely agree with, um, you know, the points that Nadia raised. I think we need to be adopting more of a whole, holistic um, approach. So where it's, you know, not just targeting, you know, the gender. I, I want to see some of, you know, the stats and the numbers changing. Um, I want more accountability to be in place. I want this to become the norm at the end of the day that companies, you know, all have, um, you know, policies and processes and, uh, you know, we're learning from each other and adopting be best practices you know, whether it comes to sort of financial inclusion, you know, let's, let's start thinking about, you know, men and, you know, men and building products that, that apply for both men, men and women, um, and not just targeting one particular area or, or um, and, and really, you know, I want to see a, a change in mindset. So when we do mention diversity and quality inclusion, it's not, you know, coming with sort of negative connotations or people thinking that's going to be a lot of work um, to implement. Like, let's get that groundwork in place now and start building upon that. And and just as Nadia's book um, recommends, you know, let's start, you know, walking the talk. We've been doing so much talking about all of this for for, for so for so long. And I definitely recommend also reading Nadia's book because it's definitely lots of actions um, uh, within within the book that that different people and individuals and companies and governments can it can put into place. So for me. It's really shifting that needle. It's changing our mindset, um, yeah, to become to become the norm, and whereby it's an equal playing field for everybody, and we're all included. Great, thank you, Laura and Claire. Last but not least, yeah, I, I would say, look, this um, compensation, uh, you know, disparity that that for me needs to be. It's so simple. It's so easy. I want transparency, and it should be parity. I mean, that's that, that just goes without saying, and it can be done and it should be done. Um, I also think it's about ensuring there's a, a, a balance across the organization and that organizations become inclusive. I mean, we, we've seen that when they are inclusive and they have a balanced um, uh, group of people around the table, 
it's proven statistically that they perform better, um, not just in the um, successful times, but actually even more so in crisis time, because there's a uh, different contribution in, and different inputs being um, evaluated when decisions get taken. And then the third one would be more on a personal level, I would say, is, you know, as a, you know, going back, I'm a female and as a mother of children, I'm just talking about from a female perspective, is, you know, making, giving them empowerment and the strength to go on and feel, um, yeah, the ability to drive forward and to make their mark and any, and, and be able to be a and crash through any stigmatism or, or, or stigmatism, you know, stereotypes and any decisions or, or, or things that come across, they come across, which I didn't um, have the, I'm sure it was more the confidence to do. And I hope that we as women, and we're going to now go back to the female side of it, especially because it's Women's International Women's Day, that we allow them and give them the um, environment to be able to do that. Fantastic. Laura, Nadia and Claire, thank you so much. I think some fantastic practical advice, a lot to think about, I think, for for women, for men, for, you know, anyone in the workspace. I think any any parent, anyone that, you know, really, truly cares about a more inclusive, fair society. I think, you know, we touched upon how it can start from the top with the government, but more importantly, I think how this needs to play out in, in the structure, the blueprint, the DNA of organizations and some, you know, more kind of day-to-day uh, -day and more specific things that we can think about and, and implement to, yeah, to make sure that in five years time, we have kind of, um, yeah, all of our metrics for success have been achieved. So again, thank you all so much for joining us today. It was an absolute pleasure. Likewise, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you so much to our listeners and stay tuned for our next episode of P-Pro Payments Radio. Mm -hmm.